reasons to come to therapy can be just big changes or consistent changes that you don't understand why. Lack of interest in activities, not wanting to be around your friends more, not wanting to be alone as much. A bunch of relationships keep ending and you don't know why. Not feeling comfortable around people you used to feel comfortable with. Um, you used to eat healthier and stuff like that. And then you're starting to have more cravings for like junk food and stuff like that, which is natural because as a result of like stress hormone, which is cortisol and increasing your stressors, you're not gonna crave a salad. You're gonna want a pizza. That was Dr. Raquel Martin, who is an experienced psychologist and is joining me on episode 18 of In Conversation with Dre. Hello, everybody. This is Andre once again, and thanks for tuning in. This is a great episode for anyone who is even remotely interested in therapy or just the perspective of how therapy can positively affect your life. And especially going through 2020, uh, I thought it was really great to reach out to somebody who has seen it at the ground level and seen how it is affecting the world and can actually talk about this at, a, at an educated level. Uh, as usual, please remember to rate the podcast on iTunes and, and follow us on IG and Facebook at In Conversation with Dre for more clips and updates. But uh, without further ado, here is episode 18 with Dr. Raquel Martin. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of In Conversation with Dre. And look, guys, on, on the show, I love to give away a little piece of myself every episode, all, all the guests that I have on the show. I want to talk about the things that I'm interested in and have impactful conversations. And, and I came across uh, the good Dr. Raquel Martin one day on social media and these like digestible, casual, therapeutic um, pieces of content that had, uh, it was letting everybody know a little bit about therapy in a, in a digestible, casual way. And I thought, hey, this is a pretty interesting person to talk to. So I have the good Dr. Raquel Martin on the show, host of the Mind Your Mental podcast. Raquel, thanks for your time today. Thank you. I uh, I love the earrings. I, for those of you who are listening, you you have these. Uh, I actually I'll let you describe them because yeah. So I love I love wooden earrings, but um, it's a black owned business in Tennessee actually, um, embellished, and she hand paints. Like she uploads videos of her hand painting the earrings, and this one says Black Lives Matter, and it has graffiti, and I love graffiti. So, mm -hmm. um, but yeah, she she like hand paints it and she shows everything. And I was like, Oh, this is, I'm buying all of this. Like, is it all like black, uh, themed jewelry, yeah. like black themed earrings? Yeah, like and afros. And she yeah. also does calendars. She also does wholesale. If you want to start your own business when it comes to, you mm. know, you know, sending that elevator back down, like she sells her own paints that she uses. Like she, she is on it. Like, so, like she is. <laughs> Like, I, I don't know how she organizes all that, but she does it and her stuff is so quality. I got an ornament from her. I have a book. Oh. Uh, uh, she does book, what are they called? Bookmarks, but it's like a big paper clip and it's like. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. I have this bookmark that I bought when I was in Panama. Uh, so I'd done a, a bunch of traveling. I was in Panama. I have this bookmark and I want, and I, I'm looking at it and I'm like, man, it always reminds me of like the bookstore that I bought it in. And yeah. I want now that I'm thinking about it, I want to have bookmarks from like all over the world because I've been all over the place, but I haven't had bookmarks. I usually get a, a fridge magnet, but bookmarks are probably a cool thing to get. That is a cool thing to get because I don't have enough bookmarks. I I yeah. always end up putting like anything in them, like my like that's where you'll find my phone, or like I have a million socks everywhere. So like, that's where you'll find like I put socks in books. Like it's just <laughs> what? Yeah, like your kid sock or just like your no, adult like my, sock? No, my mom, she's always had this whole thing where she buys, she's always bought us like decorative socks. I don't even own white or black socks. Like I only own mm. socks, but they're everywhere. 
because I can always only find one or whatever. So like if I'm reading in bed or if I'm reading on the floor, I have this thing where I'll try to hide books because I never know where I'm going to be playing with my son. Mm -hmm. He does this thing now where he's fine to play alone, but you cannot move. Like I'll, I'll play by myself, but you need to sit here. So then I'll be on the floor and I'll reach and under the couch, there's a book. And I'm just going to sit here and read while you play. <laughs> Um, cause he doesn't want to play with me. He just doesn't want me to be away from him when he plays. He's right. Sure. Right. Sounds like a Gemini. Yeah. He. <laughs> <laughs> I want you here, but not oh, here. It's just like a way. Be a Gemini. His birthday is May 29th. Yeah. That's Gemini. Wow. That's I can't believe I actually guessed that. Yeah. Yeah. My husband so is actually. Yeah. Oh, wow. So you're surrounded and I'm a Gemini. So you're surrounded by Geminis. Yeah. Yeah, that's Where, funny. Yeah, he does that all the time. When he first started doing it, and I'd just be like, well, what am I going to, can I play with something? So I just started hiding books. So it's like, if we're <laughs> on the floor, I just reach and I'll be like, all right, well, you you enjoy that. I'm just going to finish this book. You know, because I, <laughs> I love I'm that. To independently play, but I'm also not trying to be wasting my time just sitting here. Like, Straight you can only spirit your child for so long. You know, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're amazing, but. <laughs> <laughs> There's a, there's actually a, an author, this Canadian author. She's, she's huge now, but um, it's funny that you mentioned that because she just wrote a book on motherhood and it was the, the character in the book, this mother, I, I might be misquoting it, but I believe what she said was um, the mom, it, it, it's, it's a story of a, of a woman that's having a baby, but she doesn't like the baby. And it's like, that's something that happens and nobody talks about that. And I never thought about that. Like I, I never thought of the idea of a woman having a kid that she doesn't like. Well, yeah. And plus like, there's all, there's also this story about how like you instantly bond with your child. Yeah. yeah. That doesn't always happen. And it doesn't mean you're not going to instantly, that doesn't mean you're never going to bond with your child, but it, it doesn't mm-hmm. mean, you know, childbirth is such a, you know, they're like, you know, push, don't push, uh, surgery, uh, feed them. Are they eating? They're not eating enough. Change them. We got to wash them. We're going to take them away. And then it's just like, I, I barely got to see cousin's face, man. Like, mm. I, like it's <laughs> even like, you know, so it takes time. Plus it's such a big transition. It's exhausting. Like it's, it's like, yes, I love you. I, I created you and that's amazing. But it's just like how you can love people and not like them. Like mm-hmm. you, you woke me up 12 times today. Um, I'm tired. I'm hungry. You are draining my energy, but let me just stare into your eyes. Like, come on. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah you know, true. it's just, I think it's stories like that. There need to be more narratives like that because parents think it's, think it's not normal to just be stressed out by your child. Well, children are stressful when I'm working with parents of teens and they're like, Oh, it's so much. It's like, Oh yeah. Teens are awful. Um, they're terrible. They're just, and they're kind of built to be, they're self-centered. Like if you only had, if you didn't have to worry about anything, other than like waking up and going to school, you have someone paying bills, you have someone doing everything, you know, they're meant to be self-centered. This is a big developmental process for them. They're learning who they are. Like they're meant to be focused on themselves, but in doing that, they could be jerks sometimes Mm -hmm. and just normalizing, like, you know, I don't know what to do when they slam the door, walk away. Like, Mm -hmm. are, are you concerned about, are they safe? Yes. I mean, do you want to read a book? Do you want to have a glass? Like, don't like, you don't need to ruminate on the fact that they're upset they're upset. If there's nothing you can do, live your life. Walk mm-hmm. away. <laughs> you know, it's like, cause teenage years are so hard and being a parent is so hard. And I think naturally there's this pull to just be like, how do I do this? And how do I service you? But sometimes yep. they just need space. So it's like, if you want to slam your door, like one, don't slam my door, but whatever. Two, I'm about to, um, I'm about to dip. I'm about to have some wine. So since you want to be there, I'm going to be here. You know, she's like, what do I do? And I'm like, well, she doesn't really sound fun to be around right now. So don't 
<laughs> like, you know, like just. And this is and this is something I have no idea about because I'm not a father and I'm not a, 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 a I'm not a, a woman. So I just, but yeah, it, it 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 blew up and I wish I knew the title of the book. Maybe I can share it with you afterwards if you're interested. Yeah, but. that's an amazing narrative to have, and all we mm-hmm. have are the narratives. The only thing we have access to are the narratives that are shared. The you Disney like, narratives. Yeah. D- yeah. Don't get me started on that. <laughs> so many issues. Like I was supposed mm. to be Prince and the Frog because it was like it's a black you know it's a, it's a yeah. black movie um but i guess since they thought since they're like we gave them this black movie that means that we can put all these stereotypes in it just because mm-hmm. you know, just throw it all movie, in there you'd be fine with it i got mm-hmm. through like 10 minutes and i was just like oh is this where we're at mm-hmm. okay well again like the people writing these stories and and i was having this conversation with somebody the other day they were getting upset about um because there's this company here in canada that decided to start a do some like a black history month mandate for their employees. And there was a bunch of things that their employees had to do for black history month. And one of them was, which at first sounds like, okay, maybe this is something. Okay. But then one of them was have a conversation with one of your black employees. And, and it's like, okay, so you're, you're mandating to, don't worry, just one for this month. That's it. You know, like just a conversation. After that, forget about that. After that, oh, whatever. Get those coloreds out of here. We don't need that. Those coloreds out of here. And and like I get it. Like these companies, these these CEOs or whoever they they want they want to do right, but they have no idea what they're doing. So they end up stepping on landmines and just. Well, yeah. and that's because there's not many black people in the room, or even exactly. even at the time where there are black people in the room, they haven't fostered an environment where they feel comfortable stepping up and exactly. like sharing things, you know, because it's just like, even if they're like, oh, we have diversity inclusion, you know, Paul over here listens to NWA once a week, you know, just, <laughs> you know, but like, it's not even just about having people in the room. It's about having people who are educated within the experience to be able to feel comfortable sharing it. It's also having people who are comfortable with or have the training to kind of provide that knowledge just because I'm a black person doesn't mean I feel comfortable talking about the, the experience or telling you what activities to do with every single black person. Right. You know, like people get trained in that people can, you can share what happens with you and your black skin and walking in that experience, but it's just, it's annoying. Mm-hmm. Like it's just, it's just they, like it, it, is, it, yeah. it invalidates people. And it's one of the reasons why so many people don't feel comfortable seeing a clinician that's not black. Because they like if it takes so much to go to therapy and it takes so much for me to find someone and it took so much for me to decide to come in, I'm really going to try to decrease the likelihood that I'm never going to come back as much as possible. And for a lot of people, that's like, okay, I really don't want a white person because they may not offend me and they may get it, but they may not. And then I will never come to therapy again. Like, you know, like it's not I'm not saying as a black person, I understand your experience better than any other person in the world but i'm saying being a black person as a result naturally makes you more comfortable with me and therapy is about comfort Mm -hmm. right like you know you if you don't have a good therapeutic alliance if you don't have a good rapport with your your clinician i can give you the keys to the kingdom but if you don't like me you're gonna be like "Mm, you know what i know you gave me the lottery numbers but i don't like your face and your tone was wrong so i'm gonna leave you know like it doesn't it doesn't really (laughs) it doesn't really matter it's also it's about that experience it's about that bond with your clinician it's about that relationship and a lot of people it's hard for them to go to therapy anyway especially black people so if they're going to take if there's one way that they can take out that barrier they're going to be like i want someone black i'm not saying every single white person in the world is is bad like that would be absurd all skin folk ain't kin folk either but i'm Mm -hmm. saying if there's any way for me to just take away one possible thing that's going to make this less difficult for me 
I'm going to do it. Exactly. And, and it's funny, I was having this conversation with somebody the other day. I, I recently went to therapy, as I told you uh, before we started recording. Mm-hmm. And uh, my therapist is black, she's from Atlanta. And I had no idea about, I had gone to, I've done like therapy uh, in a way, like uh, couples therapy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I hadn't done my own therapy with my own therapist, going every week, dealing with my own issues. And now I am, and she's from Atlanta, and it's been it's been transformational, as I told you. I'd never even thought of doing therapy before, but you know the pandemic was has is tough. You know, as we're recording this, we're still in the middle of the pandemic, and um, uh, it's it's just been it's just been monumental. It's been so transformational, but so much around this that I want to get into with you, especially being a, a black female therapist. There's probably so much insight that you have for me that I haven't even considered, but. Um, why don't we start from the beginning? Like who, maybe just give me a little rundown, uh, who you are a little bit, uh, your, your, your background with therapy and mental health and what led you to where you are right now, being the host of a podcast and, uh, putting out the content that you are. Uh, so I went to Fisk for my bachelor's HBCU, um, and psychology was one of the few classes that other than black history that didn't bore the heck out of me. Um, and then my, my professor was a black woman, Dr. Sheila Peters, and she just was cool. And I was just like, I, I kind of want to learn more about black psych. Like most of the time you do psych, you learn about like Freud and Young and all these old white people, you know, and vers- versus like when she did it, she was talking about Mamie and Phipps, Mamie, uh, Mamie Phipps Clark, who was responsible for the doll study that showed, um, which, which was integral in Brown versus Board of Education or um, talking about uh, the intricacies between social justice and psychology and how it contributes to our environment and talking about the fact that there are so many black psychologists and, and educators and how that could, you know, creates our psychology in the first place. So I was sold off of that, <laughs> you know, like just being able to, <laughs> I'm to sold. learn about that. Hmm? I said, I'm sold. Yeah, right. Like it, it was, it was, and it was something I was interested in and, and, being at HBCU was like a transformative experience because I think that was one, the first time I ever had a black teacher, let alone all black teachers. Um, and two, being more so around understanding, just having the aspect of knowing that black people aren't a monolith, right? Like we had people from everywhere um, and not even just America. Like there was a, there was a very big Caribbean presence at our school and everyone's here is in the, in the pursuit of academic excellence. And there's no such thing as like, a lot of times when people describe themselves or they talk about things, they're like, you know, I'm like um, six, four, I like this, I'm white, I'm this or whatever. But imagine being in a, in a place where it's just like, you know, I'm this, I'm black, you know, and they're just like, well, everybody's black. So tell me more mm-hmm. about you. Like, right. Like I don't need to use that descriptor because that that's not a thing here. What I need to know about is like what you like and which, and what you, where are you from? Where are your people from? Like, what are you into? Like taking that out of it, taking the fact that we're black because we're all black out of it really just helps me to thrive, you know, mm-hmm. but in my bachelor's there at HBCU, I did my first master's at a PWI, which was Lipscomb. Um, and then I also did research at Meharry for a couple of years. And then I did my PhD in Maryland, um, in medical and clinical psych. And during that time, all of my training primarily fo- focused on like community mental health. Um, I worked in some private practices, but it's definitely different. I definitely, like I, I get more internally from working with people who wouldn't be exposed to my services uh, if I was like in private practice, it's more so you have more money. Um, I got, I just got more, I just got more out of working with kids who looked like me and kids who were primarily excluded from the conversation or, you know, kids who 
parents who was like, oh man, you, you, you seem just like my aunt. Like I just got more from community mental health because those are people who really need your services. And I'm not saying people in private practice don't, but community mental health is difficult. And because of that, it has a high turnover rate and there's also less money than there needs to be and things of that nature. And I just thrived more in, in that, being able to connect with those patients, being able to see like one of my patients who had gone through three therapists in four months. Wow. She was my first patient at this center, at this community center. Um, and I walk in the room and, you know, before I walk in the room, I get a disclaimer from my supervisor. Like she's been through three therapists. She's like, um, you know, she doesn't really like therapy. I'm just going to give you a heads up. And, you know, but this is your first client. <laughs> so I meet her and I walk in the room and she's there with her mom and her face like lights up. And she's like, oh, your hair's black. It's a black girl. And she, she was 11. She was like, your hair's just like my hair. And I was like, I know, girl, I just got these twists, you know, they're a little tight. And she was like, yeah, mine are tight too. My mom does them super tight. I was like, yeah, I know, but they got it, you know, and we're just having a conversation. Yeah. My um, earrings were Sankofa's, uh, so it's a Dinkra symbol. And the the mom mentioned, um, and it, it, which is from Ghana, she is from Ghana. And she was like, oh, I recognize your ear. And it was just so, like, every moment doesn't have to be that transformative, but you know, just getting a disclaimer for a child that's apparently a difficult patient who doesn't like therapists or therapy. Um, and then she vibed with me in like five minutes, like those experiences, you know, normalizing the fact that parenting is difficult. And there's that added layer of being a black parent. There's that added layer of, I understand you want to protect your child and you want to make sure they're safe because we're black. And I'm not going to act like that's not a thing I fear for, you know, when I first found out I was pregnant with a boy, I was scared out of my mind, like to protect the black body and to protect the black man. Mm -hmm. Scary. Right. Big responsibility. It's a big responsibility. Um, but also thinking about like when you're, when you're telling them they have to be home at this time, you're not giving them explanations. You're being extra strict. They can't do anything. You're saying you don't trust them and stuff like that. They're not seeing it as you trying to protect them. And I get where you're coming from but you're severing the relationship with your child. So trying to help parents also balance between uh, their love language, most black parents love language. Um, of course, it's like, I want to protect my child. Like, I want to make sure you're safe. I want to make sure you make it home, but it doesn't come off that way. It comes off as I don't trust you. You need to do this. It's, you know, it's, it's mm -hmm. a lot. So being able to work within that realm of not only parenting, but black parenting, because it's not the same, not only learning about psych, but black psych how you know you can't deal with mental health within the black community without as a clinician without identifying the systemic racism the prejudices the you know the attack on the black body that built this country you can't acknowledge that without you can't help someone without acknowledging that right like i have a patient i did a video like a patient they feel they were like oh my god i can't express my emotions and it's so hard and you know I'm losing relationships. It comes out a lot of relationships because, you know, it'd be like, why can't you tell me how you feel? I've said that as well. So I can say <laughs> that. But like, why can't you just use your words? I can't read your mind. Just, just share. And it's just like, bruh, I'm fine. You know, <laughs> but it's, it's hard when you never learned as black yeah. men or as, as black women who are often seen as women are seen as girls are seen as women before they should be. Boys are seen as men before they should be. Um, the variant between dark skin and light skin. And if you can't show emotions, like don't show being angry because they may think you're, you know, you're, you're about to pop off and you may get arrested. Don't show yourself as fearful because you may be seen as weak. If you don't learn how to show the baser emotions, how can I express anything? Mm -hmm. And that's what's in the back, black community. That's what happens in therapy, right? Like 
don't, it's not even like, I'm not going to, I don't want you to beat yourself up. When we talked about normalizing. I don't want you to beat yourself up because you have difficulty expressing your emotions. I want you to understand the root of why you can't express your emotions and why it's difficult. And then we can go from there. Cause a lot of people just feel isolated mental health. Like when you're dealing with things, you feel so isolated. And it's like, what if I told you there's a reason? Can we stop focusing on that and we can go to fixing it? You feel me? Let's all right. Let's yeah. like put this down. You know, like it's just it's necessary. And, and like, yeah, you're right. And and a, and a big part of expressing your emotions is understanding your emotions. Yeah. And a a big thing for me with therapy was like one of the things that changed in my life when I when I really dove into therapy with my with my therapist was understanding what the root of these emotions were. And when I understood it, then I could unpack it and then I could explain it. Exactly. If you right. thought there was no reason for this emotion, like, like I, everyone can express their feelings. Why can't I do it? You spend so much time trying to understand the root of it that you can't even address it. Right. Yeah. Like, you know, you don't even want to you you have to understand the root of it first. And if you have someone who can help you do that, who can help you like emote that, then we can get you to the to the next step. Right. Because. Right. It's not even just one emotion. There's such a range of emotions. When I'm talking to kids, I'm like, okay, you know, when you're hungry, like, okay, what if you haven't eaten in an hour? Okay, then I'm hungry. What if I haven't eaten in days? Then I'm starving. That's the range of emotions. We're on the same realm. There's a difference between hunger and starving, happy and ecstatic, sad and depressed, you know, and if you're not identifying them, you can't even express them. Exactly. You know, like I, and if you can understand the range, like when I'm angry, and this helps me when I'm furious, this helps me, you know, like you can't, you, you have to understand it. And it always, it starts with, you know, there's so much of a fear and everyone, you know, I remember seeing this thing where it's like, you know, drop your weapon and you'll be safe, but like, you can't drop your weapon when my skin is what you fear, <laughs> you know, like that's to you, that's the weapon. Mm-hmm. Like you may, you may not get this, but how? Mm-hmm. Or knowing that you could get away with whatever happens, whatever consequences uh, aren't, aren't going to reach you. Yeah. Or yeah. Respect, like, you know, or the respectability politics. Or that. Uh, Brianna Taylor was killed in her sleep, in her home. People, you know, can't walk around with candy and, 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 and darn juices. People can't walk around, period. People can't mm-hmm. be on their property, public property, in their beds, out their house. Can't be a child, can't be an adult. And it's always their I, fault. Yeah. How do you think that impacts us as a people? How do you like the fear of being like talking? I was talking to a parent and she wasn't black and we were talking about like the excitement and stuff like that. Um, And I'm always quite frank. So I was like, yeah, I'm excited about having a child. I'm very scared about having a black child. Um, I'm very scared about the way this world may attack my child and how long they get to be a child for long. So, you know, my child's all cute and bubbly once he has a pamper. But once he's potty trained and he's out the house, he's a threat. That's scary. Exactly. She was like, I have no idea what that's like. I get to just revel in my pregnancy and, and I get to be in my pregnancy too, but I'm scared. And that's a layer that, you know, I, I would never know what it's like to be a parent and just get to be a mom, right? Like just get to be a person, not have to take the extra step to worry about my husband taking the trash out and he got a hoodie on. I'd be like, God, no, please stop. Yeah. Is it like blue? What time? Yeah. Just take the trash out tomorrow. Yeah. Please. Take it in the daylight. Take it out in the daylight. Like, take it in the daylight. Like, what is it? What is it to walk around without that? Like, someone was like, "Oh, if I have a problem, I call the police." I wonder what that's like mm-hmm. to feel comfortable calling the police. 
I am a psychologist. Like, if we're going in respectability politics, I am married. I have a child. We have a mortgage. I've been in school since been in school since been in school. Multiple degrees. Hopkins. All the big names. I wouldn't call the cops. Well, the system wasn't designed for you. Yeah, no. The system was never designed to protect us. So we can't be, we can't keep saying the system is broken. It was never made for us. But if someone broke into my house, I'd be darned if I call the police and somebody can come in here and shoot my husband. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, we ain't doing it. So like, what is it like to just have that? Like, sometimes I just think like, man, you would call the cops if something went wrong? What's the like to feel that protected? That's Mm -hmm. amazing. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't because they'd come in here and shoot my husband. Um, And it'll be his fault. And then it would be his fault. Why didn't you, you announce it? What? <laughs> what? <laughs> like, it's just, but that's, I'm glad you're in therapy because that's, it's just, therapy is such a unique relationship where, it is. you know, it doesn't really have to be reciprocal my whole time. Like, you know, your therapist's whole time is dedicated towards you, mm-hmm. like everything. And most relationships, are, they're, if they're good, they're give and take, right? But all I need you to do, like to like show up and, and do the work, but it's like, what do you want to, what's your goal? All right, let's do it. Every single day, we're working on this goal. All you time. So that's a good that's a good segue into into different types of therapy styles. And what would you say? What would you say your style is for therapy? You have a new patient, a, 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 let's say a guy. They come in. They've never done therapy before. What's your style? How do you how do you approach them? Um, you know, I just tell them I'm like the coolest person I'll ever meet. Um, no, I'm just. I, I mean, my style is the same way, kind of in everything. I think I have a therapeutic tone because I'm super loud, so I do tend to bring that down um, to a certain thing. I'm just a loud person, uh, but uh, I focus on rapport building first. I'm, I'm a big believer in, like I said before, like the therapeutic alliance, which is the bond that you have with your clinician, and not like a bond in terms of like, you know, BFFs forever, but understanding that we're working together to achieve this goal. And if you, if I am off-putting, if, you know, my tone is something that you puts off, if I describe things in a way that you don't understand, you know, the, the alliance is going to suck. So like my typical first session is rapport building, getting to know you as a person, um, which you can't even do in just 50 minutes, but I'm not going to come in and be like, you need to do this. You need to do that. Um, first, I'm not a coach. I'm a psychologist. So I'm not sitting here telling you what to do. Um, but I really just want to know kind of like what, what do you want to work on? Like, what are your, what are your, some of your goals or who are you as a person? I can't delve into the intricacies of your mind. If I don't even know likes and, you know, dislikes, like, you know, what brought you in here? Um, and most of the time it's digging. Cause it's just like, I don't know why I had to come in here. You know, my spouse, you know, brought me in and then they said I had to go to therapy. They're just going to leave me, which actually happens a lot of times. Um, but you know, or, you know, my mom said I need to be here or, you know, I figured I'd just try it out Mm -hmm. and I automatically go into trying to assess, but in like just a normal conversational way. So if I was talking to you and I'm like, Oh, okay. So what do you like to do for fun? And you'd be like, Oh, you know, I actually like to read. Oh, cool. What are you reading? Oh, I actually haven't read in a minute because, uh, you know, lately I don't really like, like reading or I can't stay up to read. So that's a check mark right there. Mm -hmm. Lack of interest. Really? Yeah, lack of interest in activities that you didn't used to have or you no longer have the energy for activities that you used to like, that's a check mark in my head. But it just comes off as a question as, oh, okay, you haven't read in a while, okay. So, okay, what else? What do you- A check mark for what though? For like a, a, I see as a check mark as a, like this is a possible stressor, right? Like, because 
you enjoyed an activity, but you no longer enjoy the activity and you don't do it anymore. And a protective factor within your life of like being able to deal with stressors are having outlets for stress and outlets for stress are activities you enjoy, but an activity you used to enjoy, you don't enjoy anymore. So now you don't have that outlet. So now when you have the same level of stress or more levels of stress, you don't even have a way to deal with it. So that's a tick mark of like, okay, that's something I need to stay tuned in. Right. Or, oh, okay. So how are you feel like you're eating? Okay. You're sleeping. Okay. Like, yeah, I'm sleeping. Okay. I was like, cool. How many, how many hours of sleep you get? Ah, like six. Oh, okay. Six can be normal for people. You always get six hours. No, I used to get eight, but I can't seem to go to sleep. I'd be tossing and turning all night, you know, and so now I'm not sleeping well. That's a check. Mm. <laughs> so if you are walking around during the day and you are tired and your nutrition's going down and you're inside because we're doing a pandemic and stuff like that, you're not even at your baseline of where you're supposed to be, right? You're less likely to be able to manage things. A lot of people have stressors about ADHD lately, but a few people know that like, Concentration issues can also be linked to depression and anxiety. Those are actually presenting symptoms. Those are criteria that I would I would be able to check off as you meet this criteria for anxiety. Concentration issues also have to do with sleep and, and getting exposure to light and being active. If you haven't slept for six, you know, you're not sleeping right. Your brain can't divert the amount of energy it needs to to get you to be there cognitively. Your, your body's just like, man, I'm not about to remember that assignment. I'm sitting here trying, I'm trying to stay alive. You ain't, you haven't slept right in weeks. Okay. So no, I'm not giving energy to your concentration right now. What I'm trying to do is give energy to your legs. So you can walk to this meeting and come on back. You want, you want me to give you all this energy. You need to go to sleep. That's what your body says. There's only so much energy your body has, right? And it's diverting attention to where it needs to be. So I ask about stuff like that but it's always like a conversational matter. Like, it's kind of just like, oh, okay. All right. Well, you know, some people don't want to read all the time. It seems like you're not enjoying that. Do you anything else you enjoy? No. Wow. So life is just, you're tired. You don't like the stuff you used to like. And then your wife's on your case about coming here. Sucks. Like, well, what is she saying you need to work on? Uh, everything. It's a big, that's a big list. Okay. That's, that's, <laughs> that's, that's so interesting. It sounds like, um, it sounds like some of the conversations that I had with my therapist, like when, where, where I was when I met her compared to where I am now, like we've both said to each other, it is a completely different person. She's like, I wish I could, I wish you could see it from my perspective because yes. when I met you, you were in such a different place. And now where you are, you're just, I think it's like a totally new person. She's like, I wish you could yeah. see it from my oh my God. Like when my patients make progress. Uh, I'm probably gonna do a video on this. I'll be one that like, I mean, at half the time I do, I'll be like, man, you told me you got eight hours of sleep. Are you kidding me? Come <laughs> on, it. Like, you know, like I just, you know, and it's not like I'm just not gonna be excited. You don't always, I feel like you don't always have to be excited because one of my patients, of course, like downplaying their progress. And I was like, well, you know what's good about therapy? You don't have to be excited because I'm gonna hold that in for you. So I We'll be excited for the both of us, okay? You just decided that you didn't want to do something, so you told someone no. What? Dap it up. Like, I, don't, I will be corny. I will be excited because you don't see it, but I see it. I'm like, you know, when they set boundaries, I'm like, oh, yeah. oh, oh, you fancy. Okay, what else <laughs> you tell them? You told them no? Uh, did you give a reason? You don't have to. That's you don't have to. You know? Boundaries are so important. I learned that. I learned boundaries. <laughs> I learned grace. I learned empathy. It's a lot. But it's, it's lot. I think therapy is such a it's such an interesting relationship. I consider an honor the fact that people decide to share that stuff with me. And I don't take it lightly. But it's also like being able to see people grow. It's like, man, mm -hmm. look at you. Look mm -hmm. at what? Like, I just mean, 
so excited. It's good. And it's, you should enjoy your, your job and stuff like that, but it's always good to see that, that kind of progress and be able to share that with patients because I think some people think you have to come into therapy because you had some huge transition or stuff like that. But I keep stuff conversational in the beginning and we work on goals. It's your time. You can come to therapy just because you want to be happier or you want to understand why you're not as happy as you used to. Right. Why I don't have any energy anymore or why I don't have the motivation like I used to. Or I just need someone to be able to like I'm trying to prepare for something or I I, want to work on being more assertive or things like that. My style is always conversational. And when we start in, because I just want to learn more about you, I'm not going to come in telling you stuff to do because that's, that's not even appropriate. Like, I don't even know what your life is like. Imagine if you come into a first session with someone and they tell you like, it's a, it's a one-on-one session and they're like, well, you just need more, you know, stuff. You need more stuff that you enjoy. So like go out to dinner, um, you know, call your friends, do all this. And then you leave that session because you didn't really, and you never come back because you didn't get to share the like, I actually don't have money to go out. Um, one of my stresses is the fact that I don't have any money, but we didn't get to that because this is my first session. My friends don't talk to me anymore <laughs> because I don't know why, but they don't talk to me. We didn't get to get to that because that's the first session. You just gave me all this advice. And one of the reasons I'm here is because I'm struggling with all these things and you can't get to that in the first 50 minutes. So I gave you all this advice. First of all, you're never coming back. Like, period. Like the last thing you need is someone else who doesn't understand you. That's like that. And that's like the ultimate bad session. But sometimes people do that. They're like over here throwing out advice. And it's just like, yeah, that's going to be a no for me. Let me get that copay. I'm going to pay that copay while I'm out. Um, you will never see it. Like, oh, you want to book your appointment? Mm, I'll call. I'll yeah, call. that's that's those IG therapists. Yeah, like I'll call, you know, but yeah, it's conversational rapport building. Always mm-hmm. get to goals, though. As a, as a therapist, as a psychologist, I always feel like my job is to not have a job. So we work on these goals. And if you, when you achieve them, we can add more goals. You may decide you don't want to come to therapy anymore. Therapy is work. You may decide you need a, a break um, by telling me you need a break, not by no showing. Make that the clip. Is there a clip? Don't no show your therapist. It's rude. <laughs> like, but you know, if you decide you need a break, then we decide that. But it's, it's to come up with goals, right? Um, and I need to know you more to come up with goals, to see what, what works best for you, to see if you prefer like a more direct style of me asking questions, or if you prefer to kind of like go off riff to see if how well you would do with homework, to see if you want your worksheets or stuff written down, or if you do better with an app, like I kind of got to know your vibe and to do that, that's more conversational. And of course have all the training behind it, but this is what works. You know, this is, I wouldn't be able to be a good psychologist if I wasn't able to also be myself. And I am a conversational person. Like I'm a casual person. I can, you know, I've had patients as young as five. I've had patients as old as like 50, 60. If I can break down cognitive dissonance to a six-year-old, if I can talk about affect identification and the range of emotions to a five-year-old, if I can talk about like (laughs) the connection between thoughts, feelings, and behaviors to a 10-year-old, that's the job. Like you got, you got to be able to do that. So to do that, you kind of have the skill to be like, be able to be rapport building to know if you feel necessary to feel like you to talk more, to kind of pick up on the tone of the room right. or even the silence of the room. Because when it comes to therapy, silence speaks volumes. If you've been talking this whole session and then I mentioned something about your, uh, your best friend, now you have nothing to say and how that relationship ended. Mm, okay. We'll come back. But that's the thing. That's a check. Like, that's a ding, you know, like it doesn't always have to be, it's not going to be me saying, tell me about it. 
she didn't talk about it. It could be like, and I'm going to bring this back to this. You're just going to put it to the side for a bit. Yeah, because sometimes if, if you provide someone with something before they're ready to receive it, it can feel like an attack. Um, even if it's the right thing, it can feel like an attack. Um, it's also, we have weekly sessions. And if you want to do multiple sessions a week, we have that. But I also need to be able to gauge as a clinician when you're ready to receive that. Because that can also sever the relationship. And it, and then you're never going to come back. <laughs> right. And sometimes with therapy, people not only don't come back to you, that's their one story of why they don't go to therapy. Why they will never go. And it's like, crap. So it's a stressor. It's like, it's a, it's like, oh man, I'm not trying not to mess this up. It's kind of like jump a rope. It's kind of like, do I tell them? Do I say it? Do I identify it? Do I, nah, I'm just, okay. And you get and, that from training and being yeah. patient and, and knowing it and being like, okay, so, you know, this is what I learned in this and watching your videos. When I was training at Hopkins, my, my sessions were recorded. Um, and we reviewed those mm. sessions with my supervisor. Wow. Which is like, really just, I feel like there's nothing more intimate than someone watching you use your skill. <laughs> And just being like, hmm, I wonder why you use that wording. I don't know, <laughs> girl. Was it bad? You know, like it's, but it's the, the intricacy of the training. That's why I recently posted about it being different than a, talking to a friend. This is yeah. what I do. This is what I've been in school for since 06. Okay. Like, this is not <laughs> talking to a friend. First of all, how dare you? Second of all, like, you know, this is, the training is there. Like, it's, it's a lot. Well educated. Yeah. And it's, it's, and it's not even just that. It's also like getting the experience from working from so many patients and being like swinging a miss. I'm not going to use that term again. You know, like it's like, you gotta, you kind of gotta get it. But to answer your question 30 minutes ago, conversational. <laughs> and I'm also not this talkative in therapy because it's not their space, but it's different. Like therapy, how I'm in therapy versus like as a normal human being. Of course, you're you're listening. Yeah. You're you want them to give you the information, and then you're only oh, yeah. responding maybe to what they're saying. I get it. Yeah. This is identifying habits, identifying trends, letting them you know move in the room and use. Yeah, yeah. You want them to be comfortable. That's it's their space. Yeah, I had one patient who um who was just like you know they cursed and they said, "Oh, I'm so sorry, I don't mean to offend you." And I was like. <laughs> wow, that therapy persona is amazing. Like, <laughs> like you don't have to apologize for cursing to me. I don't. What are, some, what are some misconceptions about therapy and therapists? Because as you mentioned that, it's like, yeah, there are a lot of misconceptions and some that I've realized don't even exist having been in therapy myself. But from a therapist, what would you say? Uh, that like, some people, I actually, I had a patient who used to apologize for, talking and it sounds crazy um but they would like be sharing and things like that that. have you done that i've done that yeah and be like you know i'm apologizing i was just like did you not are you not paying me to be here this is (laughs) what you paid me for so that um i don't know i think because misconception that we're like boring people i don't consider actually that's actually wrong i read for fun like i had books around the house not the most excited that's not a good one some of us are boring. I love reading though. So, yeah. I love reading. Yeah. But like medical, like a new, I have like the corniest humor in life. And every time I laugh at a terrible joke, my husband's like, Ugh, yuck. But like, <laughs> <laughs> so that, um, oh, that we may like talk to people like outside of our, like talk to, talk about them outside of it. First of all, let me say something. Outside of my job, I'm not sitting here talking about you. I have a whole life. Second of all, illegal. 
will lose my job. You can mm-hmm. sue me and you can get all the coins and you should because mm-hmm. we're a freak. So I'm not talking about you outside of my, we do have case consultation where if you're like in a practice and you're in a hospital and we have like cases and you want to talk about it, like a, you want more guidance on a difficult case and things of that nature. We do do that, but this is also with other psychologists. And also when you sign informed consents and stuff like that, there's a statement that says like, do you feel comfortable with recordings? Do you feel comfortable with that? You can check no, that doesn't mean you can't participate in therapy. That's it. Um, what are some misconceptions you have? I can tell you if it's a, other than like the apologizing for talking. Well, that's just something that's happened to me because you're going on for like 20 minutes on something and the person's just sitting there listening and that's your job. You're supposed to sit there and listen and you're, you're probably picking it apart because my therapist, sometimes I'll go on for 20 minutes and there's something I said at like the third minute, first first five minutes, the first five minutes. And she's like, you said this. And I'm like, did I say that? I don't even know why I said that, but I think that's her thing that she, yeah, that's the thing. And you guys, you guys know how to listen. You guys know exactly what to listen for. But I think maybe, yeah, that would be a misconception. Um, a, another one for me, I think, was that there had to be something wrong with you to go to therapy. I think that's a misconception. Like, you have to know that something's wrong with you before you go to therapy. I think everybody should and could go to therapy no matter what, if anything is going on in their life. Because everybody has something that needs to be revealed, I think. Um, yeah, I would say that's a really big one. Like, oh, I had someone who thought that they had to legit have like PTSD to come into therapy. Like thought therapy was only for like trauma and trauma is a big aspect, but I also feel like everyone's not good at identifying so many realms of trauma that you may not be used to. Um, Being black is traumatic, you know, like having to be in an environment where you've been historically excluded, where your history was torn from you, where you didn't ask to be here and yet you're being told, you know, like that's traumatic. And it may not be to the point where you're having flashbacks and things of that nature, but you could be seeing someone get killed on TV that looks like your brother, uncle, or you getting flashbacks to that. That's traumatic. We can come into therapy for so many goals. Just, I want to be happier. I want to build a better habit. I just moved here and I don't feel like I'm transitioning. Well, um, I don't understand why I'm having difficulty sleep. So with sleep, a lot of physiological stuff, you go to a doctor and there's no, you know, medical reason for it. Most of the time, like lately, I've had a lot of doctors do really well with giving referrals to us at our clinic being like, yeah, sleep is bad, eating is bad, weight gain, lack of interest in activities. They, we've done every test. It's, it's not their body. Mm-hmm. It's their body fighting off something in their mind. You know, like, so even, yeah. even that, like identifying certain factors, I, I always say like if you, reasons to come to therapy can be just big changes or consistent changes that you don't understand why lack of interest in activities, not wanting to be around your friends more, not wanting to be alone as much, a bunch of relationships keep ending and you don't know why not feeling comfortable around people you used to feel comfortable with. Um, you used to eat healthier and stuff like that. And then you're starting to have more cravings for like junk food and stuff like that, which is natural because as a result of like stress hormone, which is cortisol and increasing your stressors, you're not going to crave a salad. You're going to want a pizza. You know, so it's not only about lack of control with like, oh, I have less control with eating. Like, I don't know why I don't have that control. Something is continuing to trigger this need to want to have more like fatty foods anytime. And I always say, and I don't know if I said it on the podcast, like anytime my cortisol goes up, I always want like a pizza. I want a pizza right now. Yeah. Anytime I'm super <laughs> that you're talking about. Up, <laughs> 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 and when 
what I tell people is like, oh God, you got, oh man, I want some ice cream. And that's like, anyone in my friend group knows, like, that's how I know when I've hit a certain stressor because I just crave junk. Like, and it's, so it's not only about like, oh, I have lack of discipline with the food. It's also like something's going on. Something else um, is going on. Yeah. I love rich food, but there's, when stressors come up to me, like in my mind, I'm like, I'm about to, I'm about to get like a caramel monkey what the flip. Um, Cause I just need some sugar. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I only, I typically only drink like black coffee. So I don't know. I know the names for stuff, but half the time I'm just like sugar, you know? Yeah. So even if I'm not, even if I did a video where I was like, Ooh, I'm putting sugar in my tea. Y'all it's been a day. You know, like <laughs> that's, I drink half my stuff black. So even just needing that extra, like feeling like I need that boost, mm-hmm. I need something's off. So you can go to therapy for anything, even if you just want to be happier. Mm-hmm. And even the, even that patient who's, who, whose cousin or sister or brother or partner berated them to come into therapy. I always say like, well, just because they told you you need to be here doesn't mean that you need to talk about what they need you to talk about. When I talk to teens and their kids, like their parents brought them in, I said, your mom don't know what we are talking about. You, you, I mean, like, yeah. she gonna make you come here anyway. I mean, we can, we can talk about playing Uno. Um, oh my God. One of these hospitals at Hopkins used to have a basketball court. I mean, the amount of the amount of trickery I have while shooting baskets while they were laughing at me and I'm learning everything and dinging everything like oh yeah let's just play basketball yeah it's chill it's cool it's cool and you're just asking them questions yeah just kicking it and just talking about because <laughs> it's just like you know if it's just if it's if it's a conversational style exactly exactly I just rock with it and then after that I'm writing notes like you know <laughs> informal personality assessment. <laughs> like, we need to work on social supports, being able to empower himself that from a from a 40 minute basketball game. And it wasn't even a game. Half the time I get school. I don't know how to shoot a darn thing. Um, but you mentioned this is how I am every realm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this mm-hmm. is just I kind of just like, all right, well, let's rock with it. It can mm-hmm. be CBT, it can be a personality assessment, it can be like the intricacies of cognitive dissonance, or it could just be like, oh, your mind's fighting your body. Boom. <laughs> like that's that's what it is. You mentioned you mentioned something earlier. You said um, uh, traumatic. It's it's traumatic being black, and and I I can't help but uh, segue into uh, Black Lives Matter twenty twenty, mm-hmm. and I and I feel like I feel like for therapists that must have been a breeding ground for mental health issues all over the place, especially within the black community. What yeah. talk about talk about what talk about what Black Lives Matter was from a therapist perspective, and if you notice any trends, especially within the black community or areas where you think maybe black men specifically might've needed help. I feel like it was a, a, a jumping off point for like empowerment, uh, but not only, I feel like a lot of times, um, and this is as a black woman, so I'm allowed to say it. Um, a lot of times when it comes to empowerment, we only think of women um, and, and women and, and feel as though like women are the only people who need to be to feel empowered and comfortable with expressing themselves. Uh, but I feel like Black Lives Matter also put that, the onus on men too. Like this is also important for y'all. You're, we're not, you know, we're sitting here fighting for your lives. You need to fight for your life too. You know, like it's not, it's, so you need to also speak up and also, show, you know, like, cause when, when you hear female empowerment, some people are like, mm, feminism, oh my God, like, mm, okay. Um, but you and people don't want to have like male empowerment and things like that, but men need to be empowered too. 
You know, like men need to also identify with the fact that like these people are trying to destroy my body and these people are coming in to support me. I need to advocate for myself. And it doesn't always have to be the destruction of the body. There's so many, so many realms where the government and, and the history of this world has been, has worked to destroy the black mind, you know, like, so you don't always have to start with, it doesn't always have to be physical whippings. It can be redlining neighborhoods and feeling like you can't get a business loan and feel like you can never get out of this realm and stuff like that. Like, you, you know, like it, showing that and showing that like you have all these people fighting for you, men and women, black people need to be empowered. And then jumping off points to seeing how much of a pushback it was to just say that black pe- black lives matter. I forget the comedian. Um, Michael Che. Was that the one who said matter is the matter is the the lowest thing. common denominator. That's what we're yeah. yeah. Matter. Can we agree on matters? Exists. Can we can we say exists? I saw this meme and it was like saying all lives matter. It's like walking into a funeral and saying I too have suffered loss. Like, yeah. What? Yeah. First of all, please leave. How did you? Yeah. You know, like. But or or if your wife asks you, "Do you love me?" and you say, "I love everybody." it's like oh do you i love all god's creatures it's it's insane so like the pushback between that i feel like even individuals who you know like feel like all i have to do is do what i'm supposed to do and everything will be okay you can't really deny you you can't really deny that that's not that's not true anymore right like if you see people like you, you guys tell us to protest nonviolently and we protest nonviolently. Somebody got a, I forget who it was. She lost her sight because she got a rubber bullet to her eye. Mm. Protesting nonviolently. You know, like I think it, it did an amazing job of, and I, I like the social activism of, of showing us to fight for our own, but also understanding, I think it also helped when it comes to mental health to not feel so isolated because it's not only about black people saying black lives matter, you know, and black lives matter is, is not solely black people. There are other people, you know, of all races and ethnicities and cultures and heritage also saying that black lives matter. And I think it also brought a light to the mental health aspect of like, you know, every, you know, it's not possible to say every white person, <laughs> every white man doesn't, or every white woman like is out to get you or doesn't support you. Because it would be like, hmm, that's kind of like how how certain people think all black people are the same. Exactly. You, you think that's appropriate? Exactly. To do that, you know, you can't even you can't say that every single black person has your back. That's not the case either. So why can't you know? Just also seeing that realm, seeing that it's not just black people saying Black Lives Matter, being advocates and empowering and things of that nature. But I also think that they've also put a good push on the mind body connection, like on the fact that like. This is something that's detrimental to us. This is something that you need to seek help. There's a big push lately with like black mental health and being able to find right providers and stuff like that. Therapy for black girls, therapy for black men, therapy for black kids, melanin therapy, melanin MD, black doctors, all these websites and stuff like that. And saying that it's so it's okay to decide to seek help. It's also okay to decide that you have the power to advocate for yourself and say, I want a black clinician. Period. What do you, what do you- <laughs> Why do you think, why do you think more black men, um, I want to, I want to focus on black men because I feel like you, I mean, you mentioned that when you think of mental health and you think of uh, advocacy, you think of women, you think of, uh, women are usually the ones that are seeking help and getting the help and black no, men are the ones. that society puts society. more lately of women versus men. If you think of empowering within the black community, do you think more women are men? empowerment in the black community i i would think women immediately i'm a guy so i know that it should be us yeah. but i think of women right away yeah yeah and that dialogue is out there not because i mean because 
a lot of times it doesn't get pushed. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I will walk up to a black man and say, you going to therapy today? But yeah, let's focus on the black man. I'm not saying that I believe that. I'm saying that that's the narrative. That's and there's the so narrative. many different dynamics within the black community where we say health and empowerment, but not many people think about male empowerment. What uh, what trends did you notice? I, I'm sure as as a therapist, you you probably got a lot busier last year. Mm-hmm. Um, what 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 trends were you noticing? People were needing help with specifically. Was it was it depression? Was it just like motivation? Was it just a you know um, a lack of a belief that things were going to get any better? I don't know. Like as a therapist perspective in 2020, what did you notice were some of the trends that popped up in mental health? Oh, all of them, all of them. <laughs> like every single thing you said, uh, I, I I feel like I had to tell a lot of people to unplug, um, because I actually had to start unplugging. It used to be with social media that I only saw people stuff that I followed. That is not the case anymore, um, and it used to be. I feel like there used to be some semblance of stuff that we just didn't share on ins, you know, on Instagram or social media. Like what? Like what do you mean? That, like people being murdered, <laughs> like. I, you know, I can be scrolling on something and I'll see like, oh, this is the newest way to make pizza or, oh, this is a mental health thing or, oh, and this is, um, seeing someone's last breath. So they did a good thing where now they blur it out. Um, but just the rampant sharing of that. I remember when I was, um, when I was younger with the, with the, when the, the world trade tower, and I remember thinking they showed it on the news all the time, like the tower is falling. Um, and I remember thinking, I wonder how hard it is for someone who lost someone in that to constantly see the moment at which their loved one was murdered. Every year. Every year on September 11th, they need to see it. Yeah. And or I feel like a lot of my recommendations was the unplugging. A lot of people, social media has, always, has been a good thing where people are able to build these relationships and connect with people that they wouldn't ordinarily get to meet. You met me through my IG yeah. page. You said you want to do an interview? Yeah, let's do it. Easy. But it's also the fact that we have more exposure to stuff that I don't feel as though needs to be exposed to. We also have less control over the stuff that people see. My child can unswipe, like, do, like, even, even though he doesn't even have screen time, you know, he knows that I press this button to do something. And he will pick up my phone and just try to randomly do stuff. Imagine kids who are older. So they're getting exposed to stuff that they shouldn't get exposure to. Constantly seeing people that look like you being shot and harmed. And everybody knows somebody. Everybody knows a Black person, a Black woman. You're the Black women. You know, and the cousin and, and someone. It's, it's traumatic. Having to, I, one of the recommendations I had so much lately is unplug. You don't, you can, I'm not saying that you don't need to be on social media, but you can choose what realm you're going to be in. If you want, if you want to be on something, set a limit. That was a big thing because people don't realize that you're triggering yourself, triggering yourself by seeing that and also doing it under, under the guise of I'm being informed. That is not helping inform you. How do you, do you really, do you notice how you feel in your body? A lot of times it helps if people don't have the ability to to key in the emotions, I key in with talking about how your body feels. Mm -hmm. So if you're looking at your phone, what's your body doing? Are your shoulders up? Are your eyes frowned? Are you tense? Is your, is your, are you breathing heavy? That's a negative response. You know, I notice sometimes if I'm in meetings that suck and I don't realize until the end that my face has been like this the whole time, just like, 
mm, didn't like that. Like, you, you know, but sometimes yeah. if you can't identify with the emotion, I bring it to the body. How's your body feel when you watch this stuff? Where are your shoulders at? Fist clench. Everybody knows what fish clench means. Fit, when your fists are clenched, mm-hmm. it's not, it's not, it's not about to go well, you know, unplugging was one thing and boundary setting with their jobs. Mm. The pandemic has been absurd. Um, people have tried to replace every single event with a Zoom event. Please stop. <laughs> it's not necessary. The requirement that people feel to keep their camera on when they're fatigued. The fact that now their their person thinks that, oh, you work from home and it's six o'clock, even though when you were in the office, it was eight to five. I need you to respond to this email at six. No, I'm not doing it. Yeah, there's a lot of that. And there's a lot of the companies just saying, well, you're at home, you're not doing anything anyway. So I can send you an email at 10 o'clock at night. Yeah, absolutely not. And one of the things I always say to do is like, um, send, do schedule your sins. Even if you do see that email at 10 o'clock, you can schedule your, you can put your response in, schedule it to send at 8.55 or nine o'clock when you're supposed to be on the clock. They don't need to know that you saw this. True. And if you respond, they will know. So stop doing it. That's a, that's a hack. That's like a, that's like a, a, a corporate uh, world professional professionalism hack is like write the email and then schedule it to send at 9am yeah, right away at 9am. That one time mm-hmm. they need that one time. It's inappropriate. The boundary setting that, mm-hmm. and then also finding other ways to seek enjoyment. Because if you're a, if you're a social person and you're used to being around your friends and you can't do that, um, I feel like that was always, that's been a big recommendation. Like let's figure out some other things that interest you. Um, let's see if we can get you outside for 30 minutes or even active for 30 minutes. Um, there's been a lot of discomfort with certain people and their boundaries with COVID with like friends are going out and you don't feel comfortable going out, but you don't, you also want to see your friends. How do you manage that? Right? Like I want to see you and I, I don't feel comfortable going out, but one, I don't feel comfortable telling you I'm not going to be there. Mm-hmm. And also I really want to go, <laughs> you know, like how do you, how do you balance that? Cause peer pressure doesn't stop just when you're a teen. No way. It just, it just takes on another form when you get older. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I feel like those were the biggest, the biggest things that, that have been coming out, especially during the, during the pandemic. And I, you said we're in the middle of it. I hope this is the middle. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I guess I say that figuratively we're in the middle of it. We're not, I have no idea where we are in it. They're not done with us yet. Whoever is behind whatever's going on right now. Cause yeah. I mean, we're, we're, I'm in Toronto. We're on lockdown. We've been on lockdown since uh, Christmas, basically, since just before Christmas. That so. was another difference moving to Tennessee. They're, they're way more, there's way more stuff open than I had in Maryland. I wasn't used to that. So, like, our restaurants open? Like, you can go in and go. Open. Um, a lot of my child patients that I do psychological assessments with, schools never closed. They've been in school this whole time. Um, the only time that they had breaks from school was when there was like an uptick in cases and that was for like a week. Um, like restaurants are open, businesses are opening. Like it's, it was very different coming down here and, and seeing that like people are like living their life in Maryland. A lot of times I, I used to have, I used to see people in instances when they went to the store, they didn't have a mask um, and they were provided with the mask or they were asked to leave. I've been in a couple of stores where people, you know, just aren't wearing them. Um, I made the, I told my friend, I was like, it's because everybody around here is carrying guns. So nobody around here is trying to stop somebody from like people have guns on them. No, it's just, it's like a, it's a red States and down South, like, like their weapons. So I think people just, I don't think everyone's carrying weapons, but there's a difference in the freedom of carrying art- artillery down South, basically. Like it's not, 
you can never take away someone's rights to to bear arms, period. But in the South, they're very firm about that. So I always say, like, they probably afraid somebody gonna shoot somebody versus up north. They're like, put it away, put the mask on, or you're out of here. You're not gonna get your freaking avocado. Get out. <laughs> like, you know, like it's just not playing with you. Okay. DC is right there. We don't care. You know, like we're not, yeah. we're not doing it. But um, that was a that was a big difference. I will say. It's good that you were able to find a, a therapist during this time because one of the complaints I've heard a lot is that I'll have a patient and they're like, oh, are you taking on new patients that I'm not? And they're like, my friend is trying to find somebody mm-hmm. and they can't find anybody. Like, you know, they're like, everyone's booked. Uh, so that's a big thing. I've also noticed that caseloads are full and it's super tough. Like, well, I, I, guess I, I guess I looked kind of early. I looked in April. Mm-hmm. So that was just as things were about to get started. So I think around the time July, August came around, I'm pretty sure everybody was booked by then. Yeah, or maybe even later. I, I think there's a duality to that. There's like, one, it's amazing that people are seeking help. But two, worrying about the compassion fatigue of so many clinicians mm-hmm. who have full caseloads. And there's always this pull to take on another patient. Like, I have to set boundaries with myself in that to be like, oh, you can only meet Friday at 7 okay, I guess I'll see you Friday at seven. Okay. You know, cause you want to help. That's people. the worst time. That's the it's, worst time. But it's hard. Cause it's just like, oh, they're going through so much stuff. What do I do? You know, it's, it's, it's tough. like you feel responsible. Do you feel obligated? Maybe not responsible, but obligated I like, to, I mean, I think responsible is a good word too. I think okay. I always feel some semblance of responsibility for the mental well-being of my patients because they're coming to me to fix their mental well-being <laughs> so there's always that plus i've and i i don't know if this is uh, this has been like all the black people i'm around and all my my black friends but like there's always that that feel when like you're in a, a minority to just be like i got you you know like there's always that even if it's just like you know oh you need help with this even if i you know, see a parent and she's trying to wrangle her child. And I'm like, you need help with that? Let me carry that. So that like, there's just always this pull to be like, I got you, man. The world, the world out here. Yeah. Cause we get it. We, we get, get it. it. We know what it's like. Right. Yeah. So it's just like a mat, you know, seeing a black patient and, and I'm just being like, I like, I, I, yeah, I also have a family. I kind of can't do it's hard. Cause there's that one as a black person, we got you. And the other as a clinician, like it's rough. So I do think that's another thing, like the compassion fatigue with, um, black clinicians. Cause you know, we, we, Oh, that's a misconception. We get paid to, we get paid to pretend to care. Mm. I've heard that. Yes. 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 Um, yes. I typically heard that from older generations, just to be honest. Um, I haven't heard that from some of my same can, age patients. I can see that being, I can see that being something <laughs> like, yeah. I was like, ma'am, <laughs> offensive. Um, you pay me for my training. That's what you paid me for. <laughs> you paid me for my training because <laughs> that's what I came for. But not to, not to like pretend to care. As a person, don't we naturally care about people anyway? We like, should. We should. Somebody over here trips, you're gonna be like, "Sucks, get out of my way." <laughs> you know, like you, you care anyway. You're paying me for my training and my time. Let's like, say, let's say I, I, I have been taking therapy for a while now, and mm-hmm. um, uh, I think I'm at a good place. How do you know? It, you're you're good to I, I could say that better it's like how do you know when you no longer need therapy um with the goals like have you achieved your goals are you using your coping skills outside of session do you feel like you don't need to be in therapy anymore straight up just and, simple as that 
simple as that. Like a lot of times we'll do week, we'll have weekly sessions and then um, either I will notice the trends of like benefits or the, or the patient will, or, you know, they come in and they just staring at me like, I had a good week. <laughs> and I'm like, well, you got 50 minutes. So what you, yeah. you know, so the conversation could also be, do you want to switch to biweekly? Yeah. Do you, after switching to biweekly, how about we try this? Um, I typically do like when we do biweekly and biweekly is a benefit. You have to earn biweekly with me. Okay. You're weekly just because you're here. This is, you know, there's only so much work you can do between sessions and before this is like 24 hours in a day, 168 hours in a week. If you only do one hour of therapy, it's less than 5%. You know, you have to show me that you we've worked on the goals. You're doing the work outside of session. I only got to see you biweekly. And then after that, we may even say like, okay, well, you think you can go six weeks? Like mm. you just want to do a booster session and we'll see how it goes and go from there. Um, and, and talk about that. And it's because in therapy, we're always talking about goals and we're tracking goals. We'll do like checkups and I, I do check-ins on like, you know, you mentioned like the sleep. I've noticed you've been sleeping really well, like eight hours. You, you mentioned like um, lack of interest in activities. I noticed you took on like two new hobbies this month and you've been dedicating a good amount of time. You mentioned like having difficulties within your relationship. I, I noticed you mentioned that you actually felt like you had a good conversation with your spouse and have been and for a lot of times you mentioned boundary setting. You told me multiple times how you told someone that's a firm no and you kept it moving. Like, you know, what, where are you at? Like, what are you feeling? If I see it before they do, I'll say like, how are you feeling about biweekly? And if they see it before me, I'm like, let's talk about it. I feel like I support you in that. Okay. Well, thank you for your time today, um, Raquel. This is yeah, been... Yeah, I'm sorry. I think I went over. I'm very wordy. No, it's okay. I, I was like, should, can I call you Raquel or should I, can I call you Dr. Raquel? Because I'm like, ah, thanks for your time, Raquel. Uh, Dr. Raquel. I just feel like whenever anybody is a doctor, you have to say the doctor first or call them doctor directly. Oh, Am yeah, I crazy? Because I'm not a doctor. I no, don't know. No, you're not crazy. Um, one of my, um, I don't know if you saw this on my Instagram, one of my coworkers, yeah. he's a black psychologist. He always makes it a point to call me Dr. Martin when we're out and about because I think he just picked up on the fact that, because I'm younger than some of the clinicians there, mm -hmm. um, that they would just automatically, when I was new to the job, call me Raquel. And he would just so smoothly, he'd be like, oh, so you have met Dr. Martin. You met Dr. Martin already? Oh, yeah, Dr. Martin, Dr. Martin, Dr. Martin. Like, you know, like he'll just, <laughs> like, put it in there, because he'll just be, and now he's, you know, so you you can read the room, because he, but then he'll be like, we have them call you Madonna Raquel. You didn't tell them they could call you Raquel. You know, but the fact <laughs> that they just take that liberty, yeah you know, with just calling me that and the other my colleague doesn't call me raquel and i'm cool with him <laughs> you know like it's like no i'm cool with raquel but i get where you're coming from because yeah i just see it as a disrespect and honestly when it comes to being a black doctor we are more likely to get called you know our name mm -hmm. um i've actually seen it happen where someone my uh the, my interns the intern the, the person who was under me and we got introduced and they called him G, but like they called him Dr. G um, and they called me Raquel. And mm. he said, I actually do not, I'm, I haven't finished my training yet. He was still in training. I was supervising him. He said, you would have to talk to Dr. Martin about that. And afterwards I was like, you see that? He said, yeah, it was awkward for you. <laughs> you? He said, yeah. Cause he said, you know, a lot of times you know, you hear about stuff, but he said, sometimes, you know, <laughs> it's funny. He was like, sometimes as a white guy, we're not exposed to a bunch of things. So if, you know, sometimes it can just be like that fairy tale of microaggression until you sit there and you're like, shit, did he just do that? Mm. <laughs> like, you're just like, 
you know and this is an educated person he's not saying it's a fairy tale but he's just like i know about it and i read about stuff and i understand that but to sit right there Mm -hmm. and have someone just call you by your first name and assume i'm the doctor and i work under you like yeah i was like yeah and it's only like nine o'clock so i expect about 10 to 12 more aggressions before i leave jeez for real (laughs) yeah for real Uh, one of the biggest (laughs) for real like one of the biggest things for me last year and like just to kind of like put a pin on it is uh, I noticed I I really became aware of the way women are treated, especially in the media, especially black women with the whole Breonna Taylor thing, which is another topic, but just the way that women are treated in like in, in the, in the um, mainstream media and all of the things that men are not aware of, because as a guy, I have a privilege and as, as a woman, you have a privilege, but there are certain, there are certain things that I didn't notice that men were doing as a microaggression all the time. And I became aware of that last year and, and I try actively, I mean, I have a little sister. I am, and I love women. So I try my best now to think of, okay, how is this going to come off? Am I, am I using a microaggression? If I say it this way, am I being respectful over time? Those sort of things. I think, I think consciously. I think that's a, I mean, it's a lot because it is when lot. you, you, as like you mentioned it well, like as a black woman, I have a privilege as a black male, you have a privilege. There's so many realms mm-hmm. that I'm not really, privy to someone approached me about something about like a black male adolescent like group um and i was just like you know i you know can help and like support that but there are certain realms and i'm sure everyone will not agree with me on this there are certain realms that i do not feel i need to be the face of or like in the forefront of you know i i just don't think i need to be in everything like yes i'm a black psychologist but a black male group on teens and like and i'm just like I'll do you one better. I'll help you find a black clinician that's a male. Like, I just don't feel the need to be in every realm, right? Because there are certain things and experiences that as a black man, you're just going to get better than me. And like to have a psychologist, I made this joke where it was like me, this teenage boy, he was 17, his grandma, his aunt, and we're doing family therapy. And I was just sitting there and I just looked at him and I was like, it's probably overwhelming having all these women scream at you right now. Did you want to do one-on-one time? I said, yeah. Um, yeah, that was it. Now they, they were like, excuse me. And I was like, this is a lot. Like y'all have been this whole time. Y'all have to go. We're going to do one-on-one time. Y'all have to leave. <laughs> like it's just, it's a, it's a lot. <laughs> you know, so just being mindful of that. And you know, like, we'd have different privileges, but I would, I, I, I try to squelch my biases with that too. Cause I would even make jokes with my husband, like mm, black man. What you, what's wrong? What, what, what's the, what's the, <laughs> what do you got, what do you got to deal with? What do you have to complain with? This we have a lot. You're married to? I'm amazed. You know, just being like, oh. <laughs> I'm like, oh, it must be so hard being a man. Oh my God. And he's just like, all right. One time he was like, yeah, I'm a man, but I'm a black man. So let's be yes. clear. <laughs> that's totally different. I, he's like, I am not. I was like, that's a good point. I see what you did there. <laughs> we are the, we are the threat. We are the threat that needs to be pacified everywhere. And it's insane because if I, if there is ever a more chill group, black men are the most chill, like chill. <laughs> if I, if I feel like if I'm in a scenario and I'm like trying to do something and I'm like carrying all these bags and dropping something, I mean, all I need to make is eye contact with like one mm-hmm. black guy. Uh, let me help you up. Let me help you up there, sis. Mm-hmm. He'll run over. Right. He'll know? run over. Hold the door open. He'll get yeah, yeah. Yeah. Some other person might be like, thought you were a feminist, slam. Like, mm. you know, it's just like, what? 
But if you push us, <laughs> but if you push us, we will push back. That's everybody, though. Is it that's though? Like, that's everybody. Is it though? You push, you push somebody enough, they're gonna they're gonna bounce back. I guess so. Some people just will push and fall off the cliff and be like, "Oh well, I didn't want to," you know. But I'm but I'm in Canada, so I that see that maybe a little therapy. bit. That person what? needs therapy. They do need therapy. That's, Why are that's you allowing everyone to go to therapy? You feel like you're being walked all over and you can't assert yourself. That's another reason for therapy. Everybody needs therapy. I, I think everybody needs therapy. Therapy, like I said, for me has been transformational. I've learned so much about myself. That's and so one good. of the and one of the and one of the biggest things um, is that when you learn and you can understand what's going on inside of you, you can see it in other people. Yeah. You can identify, oh, you're probably dealing with a lot of trauma. Oh, you're probably dealing with a lot of unhappiness. Oh, maybe that's, you're showing some signs of depression. Maybe there's something there that we can talk about. Like you can see it yeah. in other people. That makes it tough though, because sometimes I just want to be irritated with people. You know, like sometimes I just don't feel like being an adult and I just want to be like, I want it now. But then my brain is always just like, oh, this person's probably miserable. This person's mm -hmm. probably sad. And sometimes I just want <laughs> It's like I can't just be a jerk sometimes. Sometimes I'm just gonna be like, I don't care. Just do what I asked you to do. It's like, oh, that sounds inappropriate. You probably just ruined their day. Like you can't even. It's annoying. Sometimes I just want to be a butt. Like being an adult is exhausting. It is you exhausting. It sometimes exhausting. I just want to be like, I don't care. I don't care. Mm -hmm. But that's like socially unacceptable, and you're not allowed. And and it's also super rude. And you have like, to be responsible all the time. Being a clinician has also helped me realize, with all my experience, so many more people are walking around here just sad, upset, sad, upset, pissed off. The reason, thinking that that's normal, um, not having the support system, and honestly, most of the time, <laughs> my friends are like, I have. I guess you can tell when I'm in a therapy thing because they'll they'll say something. And uh, like I apparently changed like to my therapy tone because everybody has a therapy voice. And my friend was like, you know, because I'm just having issues with sleeping. And I'm like, oh, how long have that been? She's like, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> I'll be like, no, do not therapy. And I'm not gonna therapy. She calls it. Th I'm not gonna therapize you, but I'm just like, okay. Well, I just want to learn more. You know. <laughs> you um. <laughs> but it is there. Definitely a tone. Like it definitely. It's like it's softer and it's. It's a tone, and they'll just be like, "No." And it's like disarming. It's a disarming tone. Well, yeah, and honestly, as a clinician, you get a little, you get kind of good at getting people to kind of talk about stuff that may need more. You know, just being like, you know, hmm, I thought we were talking about fruit. How did we talk about my biggest fears in life? I don't know. Mm. I have a card here for somebody who's accepting patients, though. Totally. Mm. <laughs> just in case. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Most of the time, I don't do that because honestly, you're, you, I'm not getting paid to, and it's none of my business. It's really, it's easy to keep that line because most of the stuff, unless you're bringing it to me, it's not my business. Yeah. I, but I'm I, a child adolescent psychologist, and I don't tell people, you couldn't pay me to tell my friends what to do with their children. Mm, girl, I don't know. Give them another cookie. I don't know. Mm. I don't work here. <laughs> no. Couldn't tell you. <laughs> Well, I want to, I want to get you out of here. I know it's, uh, you have other things that you need to do. You got your, your baby yeah. boy sleeping I in the background. I got to put my podcast on the darn thing. Put your podcast on the, yeah. So, so tell us, tell us where we can find the podcast. Tell us how we could, how we could yeah. uh, support you and, 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 and what we need to do to be better mentally, uh, better, better health wise mentally. Uh, well, one, check in with yourself, provide like, I like to call them like little pockets of joy. And it doesn't have to be like an hour long massage. My pocket of joy on rough days is like a cup of black tea 
and um, listening to like Aretha Franklin in my office and just oh, being yeah. like, this is my 15 minutes, get out of my face. How many to be? Like, it, doesn't, it doesn't have to be, you know, they're called pockets. So, mm-hmm. you know, it can also be something like that. And also just being mindful of the link between mind and body as well. Um, sometimes where it's easier for us to attribute, like identify changes within our body um, before we realize that they're likely linked to like a stressor. So you notice the sleeping and the eating and the not liking to do stuff and the way more screen time and the stuff like that. And even just bringing that to your therapist can be helpful or, or searching that. And there's so many realms out there. If you want a black clinician or if you don't, um, you can look at, I like psychology today because they'll show the picture of the clinician and the, uh, there's therapy for black men, therapy for black kids, melanin, ND, like I have that everywhere. Um, which Instagram is Raquel Martin PhD. The podcast is Mind Your Mental Podcast. They're bi-weekly episodes. They're like 15 to 20 minutes just because I just feel like that's digestible. And most of the time it's kind of doing what you're doing, like providing psychoeducation and attributing it to my experience. Um, I'm a big person on narratives and you only have the narratives that are expressed. So I like to share my experience about how like, oh, last week was a dumpster fire, y'all. Let me tell you how I was supposed to use the skill and I I, I couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. And it happens. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, just mm-hmm. being like, yes, I told people to challenge their thinking traps and I was over here catastrophizing all over the place. Like, <laughs> the world is ending because my, because, you know, they were out of sugar or something. You know, like, you just, you know, just being able to identify with that because that's one of the things that I think makes it more comfortable to go to therapy and seek help when it's demystified, when you're able to hear like, this is a psychologist and she, she talks pretty normal and not only is she talking about her training, but she also talks about how like her week <laughs> went really bad. Sucked. <laughs> she was comfortable sharing that and talking about like the skills that they use. But yeah, doing that, um, uh, the podcast is on Spotify and it is on Apple podcast, but I am going to add a link tree to my Instagram because please do so much because it's like, where is your podcast? I thought it was up. Yes, it is up, but it's hard to find it apparently. So it is Mind Your Mental Podcast, bi-weekly, 15 to 20 minutes, me talking about stuff. Um, last week's episode was about shifting and how shift happens and how do you adjust to it. Um, I recorded it right when I moved to Nashville, and I was just like, I got to leave. <laughs> like, it was just, it was tough on, <laughs> like, my mental health as well. So talking about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and just look up credible resources. Like, there's a difference between a, you know, Instagram person as well as like a licensed mental health professional, you know, check out credentials. And I'm not saying that there's, that people don't have a, a aspect of folk wisdom. I'm not saying that, but when it comes to therapy, you're paying me for my time and my training, you know, like I'm, I'm not here to tell you that like everything gets better at one point, because honestly, that's not always true. And part of training is knowing like, well, what, let me help you identify what are you going to do if it doesn't get better? Not sitting here telling you, giving you platitudes about everything happens for a reason what if someone said that to me i'm like so i so i deserve to get thrown out of my apartment and have my job stolen from me and my car broken into is that what you're saying hmm. like that's how some people look at the world though yeah unfortunately you know unfortunately. What? When you look at the world that way you're able to take out some semblance of control and autonomy over it yeah. so when something bad happens you're able to say oh that's not my fault i didn't have any action instead of saying what did i possibly do to contribute to that it's 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 a cop out <laughs> it really it, is it really yeah it, it is <laughs> because it, it is if you're able to say it's, it's in and i and it's, this isn't, isn't like religion or anything like that but this is also like if i'm able to say that everything is due to someone else then i don't need to take control for my actions because it's not my fault that happened. i'm not responsible or offended 
Mm-hmm. That's that's the way it was meant to be. That's wrong. Um, but yes, I'm gonna put a link tree. But my Instagram is Raquel Martin PhD. I post like twice a day. Half the time it's like psycho ed. I'm really getting into reels. Um, so I do like those. But just brief things about let yesterday's post was about mindfulness and making it rain. Um, which is like it's a technique. Um, I'm not saying like go to a strip club and make it rain, but if you want. If you want, you can practice making it rain. You know, I don't see how you have the income for that right now. And we are in a pandemic and I don't think the strippers are wearing masks. So be safe. They definitely not wearing masks. They're not wearing masks. That's going to be the one thing that they cover. I don't think so. So (laughs) most of the time it's just brief psycho ed and like funny videos, but the podcasts are always about like psycho ed and things to improve. My goal with the podcast is really just to get the info out there. Um, there's only so many people I can help while only seeing patients, like with seeing my caseload, like even having a full caseload and you see eight people a day, you see like 40 people a week and things of that nature. There's so many more people (laughs) that need the right information. So the goal of the podcast and the Instagram is just to have it like you're scrolling. Okay. So we're looking at this, we're looking at workouts. Oh, look at this. This tells me a different way to find a clinician. This tells me signs that I may be stressed out and I have eight out of nine of them. Mm. Maybe I need to see somebody, you know, just be, Mm -hmm able to to do that it's so hard to reach as many people as i want to help and social media helps me with it even though i'm not the best at it i really just want to like do wish i could just be like hey these are the things tell every person you know and then we all gotta learn we all gotta learn the social media thing because we're gonna get run over if we don't no no one's gonna see no one's gonna see our stuff I saw this old movie where the person was like, I don't have to get a cell phone. They're going to go out of style soon. This is a fad. And I, mm-hmm. I had never, I had never like looked like, mm, that's what I said about TikTok. Yeah. <laughs> I still refuse to download TikTok. I don't have it yet. I just don't need it. I don't want, I don't want constant streams of videos, yeah, stupid, mindless video. Realm. You don't need to be in every realm. I'm not going to be in it. I, I just don't care that much. I have a link tree. So yeah. I do. And my, and my podcast is on Google and Apple and Spotify and YouTube. And, <laughs> you know, I make my clips, I put them on my, my Instagram and it sends people to the Spotify and I get my views and I get my listens and my streams and all that. So I think people are going to want to listen to this one. This is good. I, I, I was dying to talk to a therapist uh, just to have just somebody that's other than mine, somebody that can actually talk about it in, in a way. And you, you gave a lot of nuggets, a lot of insight. Thank you for your time. Good. It was great. Yeah, I loved it. Loved well, let it. me know um, when everything's up and let me know if you ever want me to come back because I love talking to people about psych. I can talk to you about any any realm of therapy there is. Yeah. And then just be like, let me tell you how this is connected to mental health. It's like picking out an orange. Yes, your choice making that orange, you know, has to do with mental health. I can, I can do it. Like, See, that stuff is really interesting. That's like mentalist. Yeah. That's like mentalist kind of stuff everything's connected to mental health okay there's no there's nothing that's not so i can talk to anybody about any of it <laughs> all right well uh thanks raquel or dr dr martin yes, they call me raquel dr. Mar- okay thank you raquel <laughs> thank you raquel <laughs> thank you for having me of course of course um enjoy the rest of your weekend and and uh yeah we'll touch base uh some other time cool cool all right, bye. peace <laughs>